0: a whole lot of love around here this morning. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mike mentioned I work in student ministry, so normally I'm down the hall hanging out with high school and middle school students, which is a lot of fun. I've been doing that for over 18 years, which is hard to believe that 16 of those have been with Mike. That's crazy. But you know what? I have a birthday coming up where I will be turning a certain age that is significant. And It makes me wonder about, like, myself, because I've been working with students for so long. I think it means one or two things. One, I need psychiatric help. Um, Or two, there's this real possibility that maybe God has shaped me and wired me to be around teenagers because I really do love them and I think they're really cool. Most days, I think it's number two. There's occasionally where it transfers over to number one where I think I need to seek counseling. But, you know, we've had a great summer in student ministries, it's been so great. We took over 210 students and adults to Canada on our houseboats trip, such a great trip. In the next week, we're gonna take over 150 middle school students to Wenatchee. Wow, that's a lot, Um, and that these camps—they're just so fun. They're obviously exhausting because there's over 150 middle schoolers at it, but they're also really life-changing. And the thing about these trips, which is interesting, watching students and even the adults, that these trips are so life-changing that sometimes it's really hard to come back home to normal life. It's really hard to come back to the routine of things. But I think we probably would all agree we feel that same that same way. Have you ever had a really great vacation, you know, where like you've hung out at the beach, you spent like 90% of your day in a hammock? Like it, is that not glorious? Like that's amazing. And then you come back and you have to get back into the routine of like the 9 to 5. That's it's hard to do. One thing I find that makes it even harder to come home is when you walk in the door and immediately you're greeted with this like stench. Um has this happened to anybody? Okay, good. First service, like no one wanted to raise their hands. And I was like, don't leave me out here hanging. I know I'm not the only gross person, but I walk in and I think to myself, like something has died in my house. And it has been baking all week long that I've been gone. It's disgusting. It's like war against your nostrils. Like you can't even, you you never wanna smell again, right? That's how bad it is. So you start looking around the house, you're trying to find where this smell is coming from. Traditionally, we go straight to the kids' rooms because, let's just be honest, they're disgusting little human beings. You know, we go there, we don't find anything, so we start lighting candles, we're spraying disinfectant, anything to, like, cover, you know, just give us a moment of peace. But nothing is working. I mean, the reality is, like, when that smell happens, you have to go and find the source and you have to get rid of it. I'm going to confess right now, in the McQueen house, it's black beans, And I don't know what it is. I don't know what they put in the can of black beans that makes it smell so bad once you open it. I'm sure there'll be a documentary on it soon, but right now we don't know. I probably don't want to know, but we'll not finish that can. So we'll put it in a Tupperware container and put it in the fridge, you know, and it gets hidden behind the milk and all of everything. And it just sits there and it grows and it rots. It's seriously so, it smells so bad. It smells worse than a room full of middle school sweaty teenage boys. Like, I mean, it's that bad is how bad it is. It's so disgusting. So the only thing we can do to get rid of that smell is to find that that Tupperware container and decide what we're going to do with it. Most of the times we're like, I don't even care if I see this. T- it wasn't. This Tupperware can- container could be made of gold, but I don't want it anymore because it's so bad. So we throw it away. We get rid of it. We get it out. And then we begin to like breathe again. We're like, oh, yeah, we, we, we smell decent most of the time. You know, that's good news to us. Well, I have some bad news and I have some good news. The bad news is this can happen to our homes with beans. It can happen to our car when we forget our tie leftovers under the seat for a couple weeks. But more importantly, it can happen to our hearts. That something can hide itself in our heart and it can stay there and it can grow and it can get rotten and it can impact us. It can impact our growth. It can keep us stuck in life and it can keep us stuck in our, in our faith. Now, this summer here at Overlake, we've been talking about these spiritual disciplines. We've been reflecting on how we grow in our faith. And last week, if you weren't here, we talked about fasting. You should definitely go online and check that out. But we've been talking about these spiritual disciplines, and we've talked about this idea that God loves us so much. And because we know that love and we're aware of that love, we want to grow in our faith. It compels us to want to grow. So we decide to commit, some of us, to these spiritual disciplines, and we wait for growth. But maybe, some of you, you've tried all these things, and you haven't, you've had seasons where you haven't experienced any growth. You feel stuck. There's no movement in your journey. And that's the bad news, that some of us feel that. But there's good news, and the good news is that there is hope. And I actually believe today, our spiritual discipline is just what you need. And so we're going to talk today about confession, about the spiritual discipline of confession. And I can already tell that some of you are a little afraid. you got some fear. I see the sweat coming down your brow. I can, your, heart, your heart's beating so much. I can see it. I just want you to relax, okay? I'm not going to have you at any point in this service turn to your neighbor and confess your worst sin or worst thought yet. Just kidding. We won't do it will all. We won't, I will not make you do that. So I want you to relax. I just want you to—this is not going to be a high-pressure sales pitch. This is just a conversation. We're just going to talk about confession. So I'd ask you to have an open heart, an open heart that you would willingly say, "I'm, I'm willing to hear what you have to say, embrace this conversation. Because I believe, I truly believe that confession is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. And I believe that it could be key to our spiritual growth. So I want to set the stage today with God's word. We're going to spend most of our time today in James 5. And so you'll want to pull out your notes. You can follow along there or you can look in the screen. But we're going to start in verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick And the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James is pretty clear in this passage with his instructions, but I think we need to see it as kind of an invitation an invitation to healing. Now, maybe this healing in this passage is physical, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's a combination of both, but it's definitely an invitation. But what makes this invitation so unique is it's not an invitation to something you do by yourself. It's not an isolation. In fact, this is an invitation to come together, to connect to people, to be with the church. So I'm sure you can relate to this, that you have that feeling that you've done something bad, you've made a poor choice, and you kind of feel the sense that like, you, you should confess this to God— and so you go and you ask God for forgiveness and he, he meets you there and you know because you know God's word says that when you confess, he forgives. So you know that you are forgiven. But the heaviness, the weight of that sin doesn't leave you, it sits with you. And I think sometimes it sits with us and it gets stuck with us. And it gets stuck and we try to pretend that it will go away but it doesn't go away. Instead, it starts to build it starts to become a roadblock. For many of us, it becomes the black beans of our heart. It makes us sick. But what if, what if healing is possible? What if confession is the road to healing? Well, if, that's the, if that would be true, we'd have to answer some questions, like what is confession? And there are two types of confession kind of mentioned in the Scripture, in the Bible. All of these types of confession are about reconciliation. Reconciliation to God and reconciliation to each other. Now, reconciliation is just a big word that says where there was separation or war, there is now connectedness, peace, and unity. And so confession can lead to that. And so there are two types of confession. The first is this, the confession of sin. Sorry, excuse me. The first one is confession of faith. And we find that in Romans 10. This is what it says. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, this is the confession of faith. That I admit, I, I openly admit that I could not save myself. That my salvation lies in God alone. That's the confession of faith. And we see that confession throughout scripture. We see it with Peter when Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And, Jesus, and Peter in that minute confesses. He says, I know that you are the true son of God, that you are the Lord. That's Peter's confession. And then later we see it with Paul. He's on the road to Damascus when a light comes. And he, it leads him to confess that Jesus is Lord. So that's the confession of faith. The second type of uh, confession in Scripture is the confession of sin. Now, we hear this type of confession, and our first thoughts are of repenting of our own personal sins, our failures, our flaws. And it's hugely important. I mean, we see throughout Scripture this idea that confession is a pathway to forgiveness and freedom. First John one nine is the most well known scripture about confession. And it says this: But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, confession's not about informing God of our our sin. Like, surprise, I sinned. And God's like, but wait, you're so perfect. I'm really, him, I totally saw it coming, but you, I'm a little surprised, you know? That's not what confession is. Confession isn't us informing God. Confession is us agreeing with God about our sin. We're agreeing, we're acknowledging that, God, I have sinned, I have fallen short of your stand of your perfection, And confession requires us to do a little inventory. It requires us to sit before God and go, look at ourselves in comparison to God, to self-reflect. And in the Old Testament, this this first part of the Bible, the path of forgiveness, in order to get forgiveness, you had to go to a priest. You had to go to a priest, and a priest would go to God for you. But because of the scandal of grace that we sang about, because of the work of Christ on the cross, we get to go directly to the Father— We get to go directly to find forgiveness. And that requires confession. St. Augustine said this, the confession of evil works is, is the first beginning of good works. Notice he said it's the beginning. Confession's like a starting point. We start, we acknowledge our sin, and we confess, and it moves us forward in spiritual growth. But this passage in James 5 is interesting because he instructs us, confess, One to another. Why? Why would James say one to another? An interesting story in the Bible is that Jesus gives his authority, his disciples, authority to forgive. I think this is an interesting passage. It's found in John 20 23. He says this If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I think this is an interesting passage, but I actually think what's happening is that Jesus is setting confession to one another into motion. Because we know that Christ has already done the work on the cross. That has alway, already happened. It's already, if you confess to Christ, you are forgiven. But there is some power, there's a unique power in having someone speak forgiveness over you. There's a unique um, freedom in having someone say, You are forgiven. Be forgiven. Walk in forgiveness. And we've seen this throughout Scripture also. People confessed all over Scripture. Joshua's son confessed. Ezra confessed. Hosea, Nehemiah, David, the woman at the well. They all confessed to another, to another person. And when you look at church history, there's lots of confession taking place in church history. And some of it has been really good, and there's been some that has been distorted. And so maybe we've walked away from confession a little bit in the church But when confession first started in the church, it actually sparked revival. Which is interesting. That us coming together and confessing to each other would spark revival. I think it might do that because it leads to spiritual awakening. Confession leads us there. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian, he said this about confessing to another. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother, knows that he is no longer alone with himself. I just wanna pause there. I I had a moment this morning of the realization that some of us just need to hear, you're not alone. You're not alone. And confessing to another, there's power in that. He says, he he goes on to say, he experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. That's the disciples. Being the reality of God saying, you are forgiven. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. See, the uniqueness of confessing to another is that we are stepping out into the light. We're not hiding in the dark anymore. We're saying, I need you to know this. I'm stepping out into the light, and in the light there is healing. Healing. And I think this applies to to a couple ways of confession. I want to make this really clear that sometimes we need to confess the sins that we have committed personally. That's a reality. But sometimes we need to confess the sins that have been committed against us. There is a confession of both of those that needs to take place. That in both those we bring our own sin to light and in the other sense we bring our wounds to the out into the light, so that we can find healing. But what keeps us from confessing? What are the things? I think there are a lot of things that keep us from confessing, to be quite honest. But today, I just wanna focus on three. And the first one is this, is past experiences. As soon as I mention the word confession, I can guarantee that many of you went to the Catholic Church, and you saw the confessional booth, and you imagined saying your Hail Marys, and that is what you imagined. That is your past experience with confession. Now, I didn't grow up Catholic, but I did grow up in a really legalistic church that um, spent a lot of time focusing on shaming people for what they were going through. And years ago, years ago, when before Josh and I were married, we were just dating and we were in college, we volunteered at this really large church up north. And this pastor that we volunteered under asked all of the volunteers, he was the youth pastor, he asked all of us who volunteered to fast something for one year which is a bit extreme if you think about it. last week we talked about fasting and we asked where well, the challenge was to fast one day but he asked us to fast for an entire year something for an entire year so i'm thinking like okay i'm going to pick something that's you know i realize that i need to pick something that is a little bit challenging cuz a year is a long time but i also don't want to pick something that like is hard. Um, I'm just being honest here. I didn't, you know, like, I, there was this balance of, like, what do I pick to give up for a year, right? And so I decided to pick chocolate. Um, I don't know why I love chocolate. Actually, I think I had really bad motives, so I'm just confessing that now because I knew Josh and I were gonna be getting married soon, and so I was trying to slim down a little bit, and so I was like, oh, I'll just cut out chocolate. But um, I gave up chocolate. <laughs> and Josh, um, gave up going to the movie theater. So that was what we gave up, okay? We decided we were going to fast for a year, those things. And we were doing really good. It started in September. And I made it all the way to February 14th with no chocolate. That's that's six months, guys. That's impressive, right? Yeah. Where's... I need a chip here. Um, And then someone... Um, someone else caused me to stumble and bought me chocolate for Valentine's Day. And, and, took me to see Titanic in the movie theater. (laughs) So in one moment we both blew it, we both broke our fast. And, uh, it didn't take long for us to feel a good amount of guilt and, uh, feel like, oh man, we really blew it. So we got right back on our fast. I threw that chocolate away. We didn't eat, I didn't eat any more. We did not see any more movies. But a few weeks later, we, we were at winter camp with our high school students, with the youth pastor. And at this camp, the pastor pulls us, all the volunteers, into a small room. We leave the main session of camp, and we all go into this small room. And he says, you know what? There's sin in the camp. And I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> I was like, how did he find out I ate chocolate? <laughs> like, and he's like, and um, it's on our team, and we're gonna stay here and sit here until someone confesses. And I, I, you have to know, like, I'm prone to feel guilty, so is my husband, so we're kind of this awesome match of guilt. But like, we both feel, like, in that moment, right away, I'm thinking, oh man man, that's amazing. One time I ate chocolate, and I'm, it's already come out. And Josh is like, oh, we went to a movie. I'm like, we're both thinking, this is it. We gotta confess. And he's like, you know, we'll stay here. We'll stay, we'll sit here. And there is silence in the room. And I am dying. I'm like, I feel like every eye is on me. I kind of feel like Josh is doing this. <laughs> like, I'm like, uh, I'm like, I-, I ate chocolate a couple weeks ago, and uh, Josh is right after me. I mean, he doesn't even let me finish and he's like, "Uh uh, I went to the movies and see what we didn't know, what we had no idea is that the pastor at that time knew that two volunteers who were at that camp were in an inappropriate relationship." We had no idea. But Josh and I were like confessing everything, you know? Like we're like I I I well, you know, like I ate four pieces to be exact and they one had caramel inside of it. Like I'm like just laying it all out, you know? And I wish, I wish in this moment that I had like an image I could show you of his face. Cause he like is looking at us like, you two are idiots. <laughs> this is not what I'm looking for at all, you know? But he told, he said just, he said, that's not it. And he moved on. <laughs> and, um, I should tell you that the two people never confessed, which just goes to show that forced confession isn't always the best option. And now it's a funny story to me. It really is funny. I can laugh at it. But in that moment, I was so humiliated. I was so embarrassed because really I thought that I was listening to that, that voice inside me saying, This is you. And I feel like I really trusted this leader, I trusted this church, and I feel like in that moment they abused their power. They abused the trust I had in them. And they manipulated a confession out of me that I maybe didn't need to give. And so pain comes from it. So maybe you're like me, confession comes with past pain and humiliation. Maybe it comes from the pain that you confess something in confidence to one person, and the next thing you know, it's circulating on the prayer chain. But maybe you have past experience. The second thing I think that keeps us from confession is shame. Now, I recently learned the difference between shame and guilt because I had thought they were the same thing. But after reading, I kind of have come to the conclusion that guilt is just a word we use. Um, outside of the church, and inside the church, we probably use the word conviction, that we feel the Holy Spirit's conviction. And so those words have become the same for me, but I think that conviction or guilt may come when the Holy Spirit's kind of tugging or whispering in your ear saying, man, that was not the right decision. That was not the right call. But shame is different than that. See, guilt and conviction say, you've made a bad decision. Shame says you are a bad person. Guilt and conviction say, you know what, I lied. Shame says, you're a liar, and that's all you'll ever be is a liar. Shame, guilt and conviction say, you know what, I, I think I cheated. I, I'm pretty certain I cheated on my taxes. And shame says, you are a cheater, and you will be nothing but a cheater. And shame, it will do anything it can to keep us quiet, to keep us stuck. See, and if you're struggling with shame, you walk in here and you look around and all you see is a community of saints. You just think you're a saint and everybody's a saint, but you and you don't belong. That's shame. Shame is trying to keep you stuck. But confession, it allows us to see that this community is a community in which we are all saints and we are all sinners. And we all belong to this community. Shame will keep us from confessing because it doesn't allow us to admit that we are human, that we make mistakes. But in fact, this reality that you and I, we're just humans, should not keep us from the power of confession and the road it leads to healing. So shame. The third thing is this, is vulnerability. Now vulnerability is a bit of a hot topic in our culture right now. Most of us are afraid of being vulnerable because it seems to imply weakness. If you play a sport, you do not want the opposing team to know your vulnerabilities. If you're going to war, you do not want your enemy to know your vulnerabilities. If you're about ready to enter the most epic tickle fest with your kids, you do not want them to know that your teeth, your teeth, your feet, oh shoot, your feet, Your teeth, feet, yes, don't tickle my teeth. That's very awkward. (laughs) My feet are my greatest vulnerability. We don't want them to because we think it's weakness. Vulnerability equals weakness. But I would like to challenge this idea when it comes to confession. Brene Brown says this, that vulnerability is our most accurate measurement of courage. Courage. To reveal yourself to another, to to confess requires that you are vulnerable. But that is not weakness, it is courage. It is not weakness, it is courage. Pope John Paul II said this, Confession is an act of honesty and courage. An act of entrusting ourselves beyond sin to the mercy of a loving and forgiving God. See our pain and our past shame and the fear of vulnerability, it can keep us from confession. But we are missing out. We are missing out. Why do we confess? What are we missing out on? The first thing is this growth. There's this old saying that says that you are only as sick as your secrets, right? And the sad reality is I'm not a gardener. I have a gardener because we have friends that help us, but I'm not a gardener, but. A sick plant can't grow, bear, can't grow or bear fruit. That's just the reality. It's stuck. And the same is true as, for us as spiritual beings. When we are sick, when we have secrets, we can't grow. We cannot bear fruit. They keep us stuck. And these secrets, again, these secrets can be the sins that we are committing, that we are hiding from other people and we don't let anybody else know. Or these secrets can be our wounds the wounds that have come at the hands of other people who have committed sins against us. And these secrets, they keep us sick. And they keep us from growing. We have to be willing to be honest about these. Because honesty leads to confession. Confession leads to change. And change always leads to growth. So we, we benefit by growing. The second thing is healing. I'm reading right now this, the, the, this translation of the Bible called The Voice Bible, and I love it. I think it really showcases the why of confession, and so I want to read James 5 from The Voice. This is what it says. Are any in your community suffering? They should pray. Are any celebrating? They should sing praises to God. Are any sick? They should call the elders of your church and ask them to pray. They will gather around and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayers offered in faith will restore them from sickness and bring them to health. The Lord will lift them up from the floor of despair, and if the sickness is due to sin, then God will forgive their sins. So own up to your sins to one another and pray for one another. In the end, you may be healed. Now, I believe that God heals us, and I don't totally understand this. I don't think I always see healing the way I want to see it or the way I think it should be, but I do believe with all my heart that God heals, that God said he is making all things new. Now, according to James 5, confession leads to healing. See, and I think a lot of us, we think of confession and we think of sadness. We think of despair but I have never, ever been a witness to some kind of miraculous or uh, spiritual healing that has not been a party. When people get healed, we are celebrating. There is partying happen. But here's the deal. Celebration, uh, confession may require us to sor- lead us to sorrow. But it never, ever stays there. It always leads us to joy. Healing leads us to joy. The third thing of why we should c- confess, is connectedness. Now, I memorized this verse, Galatians 6, two, when I was a kid in, in a program called Missionettes, which is like the church's version of Girl Scouts. And this is what the verse was. It said, share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. Paul's telling us to share our burdens with each other. Now, I can't share your burden if I don't know what it is. And you can't share my burden if you don't know what my burden is. Confession is the way in which we can share. And so interesting that, that Paul would say that in this way we fulfill the law of Christ. The very law, when, when someone asked Jesus what's the most important, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. And the only way we can fulfill it is by sharing our burdens with each other. And confession leads us to that. And the opposite is true that when we don't confess, there's a lack of connectedness, that we're separated from people. In fact, when I was in high school, I have this really distinct memory. Um, I was playing tennis inside the house, because where else do you play tennis? Um, and I, in the kitchen, nonetheless. And I was, like, bouncing it off the wall, just hitting it back. And one got out of control and just ricocheted up and hit the kitchen light. And it just—it was the 70s, so the, <laughs> it was the 80s. I'm not that—I'm I'm getting there, but I'm not that old. Um, it was the 80s, so we had the, like— paneling lights, and it just all shattered and came down to the ground. And literally, as a 17-year-old, I'm like, okay, my parents get home in an hour. I got an hour to come up with a good story. You know, one hour. So I'm like, okay, it was like this when I got home, you know. I thought it might work. The dog did it. You know, we didn't have a dog, but there was a good chance that a dog could have done it, you know. Um, I was home. I was doing all the right things, my homework, cleaning the house, and these people and Costumes, like full masks, came in, and they were like, "These lights need to be broken," you know, or like, um, "My brother, who lives in California, came home just to break the light so he could get me in trouble because for all the times I tattled on him." Like, I am thinking of so many stories. It's like I that in that moment I was like, "I am a creative human being. This is a gift I have," you know. I was like really impressed with myself with the stories, but also in that moment I realized that if I told a lie. If I avoided the truth, what I was doing was actually putting something between me and my parents. I was separating us. Now, the opposite is true. If I was going to confess, if I was just going to own up to what I did, which is what I did, I owned up, I confessed, that in that moment, there became a connectedness between us. Our trust was strengthened In fact, I think I'm pretty certain I didn't even get in trouble for that because I think the fact that I owned up, I connected us. See, confession leads to connectedness, and the lack of confession separates us. We can't share each other's burdens if we don't know. So I hope that you have seen that growth and healing and connectedness is possible when we confess. But how do we confess? How do we confess? The first thing is this, is we need to allow for self-examination. A theologian named Richard Foster, he wrote what has become a Christian classic on spiritual disciplines called The Celebration of Discipline. And in his chapter in Confession, he he tells a little bit about his own confession journey to another, uh, confession to another person journey. And at that time in his life, he didn't have one thing that was like, you need to confess this, you need to confess this. He didn't actually feel any of that. So what he decided to do is he set three days aside, just 20 minutes each day, to do a little self-reflecting. And on each day, he separated his life, childhood, adolescent, adulthood. And on that first day, in that first 20 minutes, he took out a piece of paper and a pen, and he just sat quiet, and he wrote childhood on top of it, and he just sat quietly. And he just waited to see if the Spirit might bring something up, if the Spirit might nudge him to say, this is something you should write down. And then the next day, for just 20 minutes, he wrote Adolescent. And he just wrote whatever the Spirit led him to write. He didn't, he didn't write everything he could think of. He just, whatever the Spirit led it to. And then the third day, he did Adulthood. And he wrote Adulthood, and he just sat there with it. See, it would have been easy to be busy and be just writing everything. Oh, I've done this. I've done this. I'm sure I've done this. But that's not what he was looking for. He was looking for, what is that thing that has got stuck in my heart? that's buried itself there and is making me sick and he just wanted to listen and so a few days later he'd done all this work and he went to his friend and he said here are my things and he read them and they talked about him and then his friend just gently put his hand on him and prayed they prayed together and then his friend took the paper crumbled it up put it in the garbage can and said you're forgiven you've been set free And what a powerful moment. But that requires us to to self-examine, to look at ourselves. You know, some of those secrets inside that we don't even want to acknowledge that are there. You have to be willing to be honest. In fact, I think some of us can probably relate to David. When David had his affair with Bathsheba, he didn't want to own that. He didn't come to confession on his own. In fact, the prophet Nathan came to him and said, I'm going to tell you a story. And in this story... He began, David began to self-examine, and he began to realize, I'm the person you're talking about in that story. I need to confess. I'm the one. And in that moment, he confessed his affair. See, you have to start with self-examination. But I want to say this, that self-examination should never lead you to self-condemnation. We sang about the, the scandal of grace. Grace isn't for you to feel shame, but you have to self-examine. The second thing you need to do in confession is to find your person or to find your people. See, I suppose our first thought when we think about confession is to go to our pastor. And that may be the right choice for you and your situation. But I think there are a couple other suggestions or other options. The first is maybe those you do life with, that you're sharing life with. Maybe it's someone in your life group or if you have a mentor it's someone who really loves Jesus, and they love you, and they care about your spiritual growth. I have my people. I have four people, and they know me. They love me. They're, they're the people I've given permission to say whatever they need to say to me, and also they're a place I can go. Now, if I need to confess something, I, I'm going to just be honest. I don't feel like I need to go to all four of them. Sometimes I just go to one. Sometimes I go to two, but I, I, I know who those people are. The key is knowing who your people are. But there are also some of us in this room today that the person is that we need to confess to is a biblical counselor here at Overlake. See, you may need someone who can help you walk through some addictions or some wounds or some pain. And healing may require some intense care and help. But it's possible. So I do want to draw your attention to this connection card. And if that is you at all, if you're thinking, man, there is some stuff I need, to, I need to confess to someone and I'm going to need help with, I just want you to write biblical counselor on your connection card. And in a few minutes, we're going to have an extended time of worship, and I want to let you know that we have taken some steps today to provide some space for confession. And Pastor Pat's going to explain that a little bit, in a little bit. But the key is finding your person or your people. The third thing is this, reveal it and find healing. And maybe this is the most obvious step to confession, but it's in likelihood the hardest. And maybe this is your first time here today at Overlake, and this is kind of an overwhelming message to you, but I just want to say confession can be progressive. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to lay it out all on the table right now. It can sometimes be that I feel comfortable confessing this one thing, this one area, And what happens when we're vulnerable enough to confess that one area, we begin to find healing and we begin to find freedom in that one area. And it kind of gives us a little bit of confidence. It gives us a little bit of hope. We begin to believe more in the power of confession. So it doesn't have to be big, it can start small. Confession can be progressive. But revealing it will require you to step past pain, it will require you to put down shame. And it will require you to be vulnerable, but on the other side is healing. On the other side is growth. On the other side is connectedness. And maybe confession will fill you with sorrow, but the good news is that confession always leads to joy. James 5 tells us that when we confess, when it happens, we find forgiveness and we find healing. I wanna tell you the story of two of my dear friends. Um, Early in their marriage, he he was unfaithful, and I don't totally know all the details, I just know that it happened one time early in their marriage. But for five years, he kept it a secret. For five years, he told nobody. No one knew. But no one knew what had happened, but everybody knew something. Because he walked around with so much shame and so much self-hatred and so much pain and depression. He was so sick spiritually and physically that we, we all knew something was going on. But no one knew the real thing. Finally, he, he, he couldn't carry it on his own. So he went to his boss, who was his friend, and he, went, and he said he just confessed Well, even in that moment, his confession scared his boss because his boss thought instantly of what this meant for their company, for their community, their families. And so his boss told him, you should keep it a secret. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell your wife. Don't tell your family. Keep it a secret. But I'm really proud of my friend because he refused. He refused because he knew that carrying that secret was making him sick. He knew that confession was essential He could no longer carry this secret. So he confessed. He came clean to his wife and his family. For him, confession was the beginning of healing for their lives. In that moment, healing began for him, for his marriage, for his family. They're in a totally different place now. I mean, it was messy. Sometimes it still is messy. But they're in a much healthier place. One without shame. One without secrets one without disconnect. For him, confession was the beginning of healing in his life. And that same healing is available for you today. It's available for you. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? And I just want you to kind of envision what your life might be like if you were free of secrets, if you were free of shame, Can you almost imagine that the weight that would come off your shoulders, the freedom there might be in that? Can you see what healing might look like in your life, the power of confession? Can you see how it might change your relationship with Jesus? Can you see how it might change your relationship with others? I know the vision for me is so powerful, it's... I can see healing. And may that vision, may the vision of healing that you see, may it give you the courage you need to confess. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for your work on the cross. I'm so thankful that we don't have to go through anybody else to get forgiveness from you. We can go directly to you. But God, I'm also thankful that I don't have to figure that out by myself that you've given us each other, that we can figure this out together, that there is a clear pathway to healing. God, I pray for courage for everyone, myself included, that we would have the courage to push past pain, to push past shame, to push past vulnerability, and to confess to each other that we might find the healing that you offer. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.